Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for our beautiful worship this Sunday of peace. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 and keep your Bible open, if you would, as we look at various passages in Romans. Romans chapter 5, I'll be reading 1 through 11. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. On March the 10th, 1974, a Japanese Army straggler, Lieutenant Hiro Onoda, walked out of the jungle from the island of Lubang, just south of Manila Bay, and surrendered. March the 10th, 1974, he surrendered. But the war between the Philippines and Japan ended on September the 2nd, 1945. For nearly three decades, Onoda refused to believe the reports of peace that he was hearing on the radio or reading the newspapers that were left on the beach for him to read to know he didn't have to keep fighting. The war was over. He thought it had all been an American ruse, a trick to trap him to come out and surrender. And so he refused to surrender and he fought his one-man war for 30 years. The Filipino soldiers pursued him and tried to find his hideout, but he was good. They couldn't find him. And every day he would look out on the beach hoping that the Japanese Navy was going to return and assist him to retake, to recapture the island. The war had ended, but Anoda derived no benefit from the peace. To benefit from the peace, he had to believe that the peace had been declared and personally accepted by walking away from his life of conflict and resistance in war. Notice the situation is comparable to those who have not yet decided to say yes to the lordship of Jesus. 
As we'll see this morning, the, the death of the Christ on the cross has brought peace between God and humanity. Nonetheless, we don't have to accept that peace. We can wage a one-man war against God like Onoda did on the island. We can refuse the declaration of peace that comes from the Christ to the cross. We can continue individually to wage war with God if we so choose. In reality, we will miss the benefits of peace with God. Making peace with God is ultimately our desire as fallen humankind. For God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. By his very nature, he must punish sinners. And, and we, by our very fallen nature in Adam, we are sinners. And God, being holy and good and just, must go against the evil within us. That which is good will, by definition, always be at war with that which is evil. And yet, through the, the gift of the Christ of the cross, God not only can be just, lash out against sin, but in the form of his son, he receives the very punishment that we deserve. I want you to notice four things this morning. First of all, we need to realize that we are enemies with God. By nature, we are enemies with God. Look at, look at 5.1, therefore. This idea of therefore means that Paul is linking back to the section that began in 3.21. Look at 3.23, it reads, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned describes the tragedy of human existence. Dr. Carl Minninger tells a story about a man, kind of an eccentric character in Chicago. He, he stood on a, a busy street intersection and just from time to time, he'd raise his finger and look eye to eye with someone. And he would say, guilty, guilty. The person would be a little bit disturbed, and he put his hand back down. In a few minutes, he'd raise his hand again, and he'd look his eye to a stranger and say, guilty, guilty. One of the persons to whom he pointed the finger reached over to his friend and said, but how did he know? How did he know? He knew because, Paul has told us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all the guilty one to whom the finger of God would point. Psalm 14, the psalmist says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The psalmist's conscience tells him that if God were to rise up in judgment against those who were sinners, the psalmist says, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, Lord, who would be able to stand? Of course, the answer is no one. The psalmist knew it, and likewise the prophet declared it. Isaiah wrote, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one of us to our own way. We are all running from God. 
what the psalmist and the prophet declared, the apostle Paul says himself, and the, and the apostle John as well. If we say we have no sin, John says, we have deceived ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, then we make God a liar. The prophets have declared and the psalmist has set to music and the apostle has penned in a letter, all have sinned, all are guilty, all of us are at war with God. Our sinfulness cuts us off from God. Our highest destiny as humankind is to know God, to have a relationship with God, to have intimacy with God, that we are creation and He is creator. And our highest good is to have a relationship with the one who created us and knows us best. And that relationship is thwarted. It is stopped by the sin that is found within each one of us. We have an estranged, warlike relationship with God, Paul is telling us. In fact, turn back to Romans 1.18, the, the earliest proclamation and great proclamation of God's wrath against our sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God has wrath. He is at war with the unrighteous. And who is unrighteous? I am and you are. All have sinned, the apostle tells us. There's a, a second thing I want you to notice. We need to realize that sin is no insignificant concern. Sin is no insignificant concern. Look at Romans 3.24. For all have sinned, look at 320, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, now 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God could not be God if he just forgot about sin. God, by his very nature, is holy and righteous and, and must lash out against that which is evil. God would not be God by definition if he didn't take your sin seriously. God can't cover your sin up. God can't overlook my sin. God has unwavering holiness in his nature. And God has to pronounce judgment upon the sinner. And he did so, Paul tells us on Calvary. Our own sinfulness placed us at odds with a God who is holy and righteous. And God wanted to be both just, he must lash out against sin, and yet he wanted to be the justifier, the one who treated us with grace and mercy. And God, even as he sent his wrath, became the recipient of that wrath on the cross so that God could be true to his nature and lash out against sin but he received within himself the punishment due to us in the form of his son. 
You know, the gospel is a rescue religion. The wrath of God comes forth against sin and sinners, and through Jesus we are saved from that wrath. In fact, Baptists use the word saved a lot. Are you saved? Have you been saved? Well, what what does the gospel mean when it says we are saved? The idea is this. The New Testament idea of being saved is there is judgment coming, and the wrath of God will be poured out upon all sin and sinners, and we need to be saved from the wrath, the judgment of God, and we are saved from that wrath Because God received his own wrath in the person of Jesus. Yes, the gospel is a a rescue religion where God saves us from his wrath. Matthew 1, 21, this time of year Christmas. What shall we call the baby? You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Or Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Or 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. Now, whenever you see that in a writing by Paul, that means this is a foundational truth of the gospel. Whenever Paul introduces something with this phrase, this is a sure and worthy of all acceptance. This is what he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus, this Christmas time baby, came into the world to save sinners. God loved us that much. He knew he must send his wrath for the punishment against sin. He sent his son himself to die in our stead to receive the punishment for our sins so that God could be both righteous and reconciling at the same time. No, God couldn't let our sin go. He couldn't and be God. Couldn't sweep it under the rug. But he sent his son that that which was guilty could now be forgiven and that which was stained could now be unblemished and that which was broken could now be whole. In fact, you remember the first time that John the baptizer saw his anointed cousin, his declaration captures the essence of Christmas. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus was crucified, you remember there was darkness over the whole land which lasted for three hours. And with that darkness came accompanying silence. The children actually did pretty good with their definition of peace. There came silence at the same time. For no eye should see and no ear should hear the agony, the agony of the soul that the spotless, sinless Lamb of God endured, being abandoned by the Father. Jesus had no sin He who knew no sin became sin for us. And even as the one who had had constant and full fellowship with God bore my sin and your sin, God could look no more upon his son. And the son felt the abandonment by the father. And he cried out those awful words from the cross. My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken because he had my sin and your sin bearing our sins on his back. What agony it must have been for one who had complete fellowship with God now to hear the silence of the Father who would no longer answer him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? During WW2, the carrier USS Yorktown was pursuing a Japanese carrier which was believed to be headed for the Midway Islands in the South Pacific. Just before sunset, the Yorktown captain ordered six planes to go up and search for this Japanese carrier, each with two-man crews upon the six planes. Well, the, it was fruitless. They didn't find the Japanese carrier. So at the appointed time, they turned around and headed back for the Yorktown. But just before that, at the setting of the sun, the watchman noticed, spotted a, a submarine by the enemy, and the captain ordered the lights should be turned off and the engines all shut down and they could float in silence safely. And the planes returned. They couldn't find the carrier, and they knew what that meant, that the enemy had, was in the way. And they couldn't turn on the lights. Desperate, they broke radio silence, and they asked, would you turn on the lights just long enough for us to land? But the captain had to protect the 2,000 on the ship above the 12 up in the air, and so he ordered that the lights should not, could not be turned on, and the engines would not be restarted. For two hours, the men on the ship heard the planes fly around, and each one of the six sputtered as it ran out of gas, and they heard the crash and all 12 men perished. They wanted another way. Jesus asked the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, do I have to drink this cup? Is there another way for you to achieve salvation? Must I drink this cup? God's, and he said to God, not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. Father, do as you want. And the Father required the death of the Son on my behalf and your behalf. Even as the crew heard the plane sputtering and crashing in the water, they had guilt in their mind, a sense of awe, and a sense of thankfulness and unworthiness. It's what all of us feel when we look at the cross and realize that it is my sin and your sin who placed him there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Third thing I want you to see is this. God loves you just like you are. God loves you just like you are. Turn back to Romans 5, 6 through 8. God loves you just like you are. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps... For the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love, own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're listening by way of television this morning or, or you're in this great sanctuary, I want you to hear these words. God loves you just like you are. In fact, there is nothing you could do this morning 
to make God love you more. There is nothing you could do to make God love you more. God loves you so much, even in our sinful state, that God sends the Son to die, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some might say, Pastor, I don't feel worthy of salvation. That's a good thing because you're not worthy. Christ died for you while you were in your sin. God loves you, not while you're well, but while you're broken. He loves you not when you're clean, but he loves you as much when we're filthy and ungodly. God loves you right now, and God loves you as is, as is. In Romans chapter 3, and verse 10, look, turn back and look at Romans 3.10. There is none righteous... Not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. We're all sinners. Every Sunday when I close out the message, I'll say all you need to be is a sinner in need of a Savior, and that'll make you like everybody else in this room. And that's exactly true. That's what Paul's saying in Romans. There is no one in this room that deserved the death of Jesus, and yet he died for each of us. Maybe we need to hear that message this morning, that in fact we are truly unworthy of God's love, and yet God loves us just like we are. He loves us despite who we are, despite what we've done. He loves us while we are yet sinners. A priest in Puerto Rico went to see a woman who was dying of AIDS. The priest was summoned. She was in her last days. He attempted to comfort her with everything he knew to say, and it was to no avail. She said to the priest, I am lost. I am bound to help. I have ruined my life, and I have ruined the life of everybody around me. There is no hope for me. The priest saw a picture of a, of a beautiful girl framed sitting on the dress of the woman. He said, who is that? And for, for one moment, there was a brightness in her voice. She said, oh, that's, that's my daughter. She's the one beautiful thing still in my life. That's my daughter. She's the one beautiful thing still in my life. The priest looked at the woman with AIDS and said, if she were in trouble, would you help her? If she had sinned, would you forgive her? Would you still love her no matter what she might do? The woman cried out, of course I would, of course I would. Why would you ask me such a question? Because I want you to know, said the priest, that God has a framed picture of you on his dresser. God has a framed photograph of you on his dresser. You are his child. And the same way that you love your child or grandchild, God loves you in the same way. And he has done everything he knows to do to save you. 
from his wrath. Here's a fourth and a final thing I want you to see. Through the death of Christ, peace with God is ours if we're willing to receive it. Through the death of Christ, peace with God is ours if we're willing to receive it. I want you to look at Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we all want? Look at verse 6. While we were still helpless, Christ at the right time died for the ungodly. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled with God through his death of his son. And much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God took that initiative that Friday afternoon with the death of his son. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. God has done everything that God can do for you to be at peace with him. He has been holy and righteous. And even as he lashes out against sin, he received his own wrath in the form of Jesus. He has done everything he needs to do. But you know, you're still free. You're free to reject the gospel. You're free to reject the message of Christmas, the peace of Christmas. You can still say no to God if you want to. You can still be like Hero Anoda on the island that even though the war over with God is over, been over for 2,000 years, that even though the war is over, you can still show up to do battle with God every day, refusing to believe in the story of Jesus. Ronald Reagan had an aunt who was very kind to him, and she wanted to buy him a, a pair of custom-made shoes. Now, that's nice, custom-made shoes. Sent him to the cobbler, and the cobbler sized his foot and said, well, now, do you want square toes or round toes? Well, young Ronald Reagan just wasn't sure which one he wanted. I mean, is this one shot at custom shoes. He didn't want to mess this up. And so he said, well, I'm just not sure. I need to think about this, whether I want square toes or round toes. I'll have to think about that. He didn't get back with a cobbler, and the cobbler ran into him in the market and said, hey, uh, Ronald, do you, do you want square toes or round toes? And he still, he hauled, him hauled around. He had no idea. And so the cobbler said, okay, just show up in two days, and I'll have your shoes ready for you. And Ronald Reagan tells the story that when he showed up, he had one shoe with a square toe and one shoe with a round toe. And the cobbler said, don't ever live life letting other people make your big decisions. Ronald, don't ever live life letting others make your big decisions. Is there any bigger decision than this? To receive the grace of God. He loves you. He loves you just like you are. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. The war is over. We are at peace with God through the death of his son. But now it's up to you. Don't let anybody else make that decision for you. 
It's really the only question that matters. It is the only decision that you will ever make that has eternal consequences. And for some of you at home watching by way of television and for some of you here in this great sanctuary, this is that moment of decision. To come forward and say, yes, I am a sinner and God loves me just as I am and I want to receive him as my Savior. It'll make you like everybody else in the room. Even as that Bethlehem baby comes this year, make this your year to say yes to salvation of God. Let us pray. God, I pray if there's someone here in this room that even this Christmas would be his Christmas or her Christmas to say yes, to understand in all fullness what it meant for Jesus to become a baby, to put on flesh so that his back could be broken, his flesh broken, his blood spilt. God, we know you're holy and righteous. It is a remarkable thing that you love us just as we are. I pray if there's anyone watching by way of television that would say, this is my day, my moment to say, God, I am a sinner. And God, I need a Savior. I, like all others, have gone astray. I'm a sheep that has left the flock. I need the Lamb of God to pay for my sins. Even right now, maybe there in your living room or, or here in this sanctuary, folks are saying, yes, the power of salvation through the Bethlehem baby. Come into my life, O oh Christ, forgive me. Maybe there are others here this morning that need to be a part of a church family like this church family that preaches the gospel, the good news of salvation through the birth crucifixion and return of the Messiah. Paul says if we're saved by his death, think how much more so by his resurrection, his life, and in that resurrection we rejoice. Amen.